Here we are, another episode of No Local, uh, beautiful podcast we create here in Newcastle, and it's actually um, about to expand uh, Australia-wide, starting in Sydney. We've got a couple of guys looking to uh, to build some podcasts up in Brisbane and Melbourne as well. Great. But guys, uh, very, very eager to uh, to introduce our guest sitting across from us today. Um, he's he's built an incredible business in Newcastle and, and you know another industry player in you know our property sphere for what we do as a, as a business as well. Um, and, and he's had some just an incredible journey in terms of you know what you've achieved so far in your life and you know both business and also personally, which we'll dive into today. Uh, so before or without any further ado, um, Brendan Lowbridge from Money Links here in Newcastle, mate. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, mate. I'm waiting for the music to crank up, and uh, no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I've been really keen to do it, so. No dramas, mate. Happy to uh, happy to have a chat. So, you know, to, to flesh it out, um, you know, where we stand today, um, you've got an incredibly successful business behind you, um, Money Links, which mm-hmm. is a, um, you know, a, a mortgage brokerage business, which we'll dive into. Uh, but mate, take us back to you know the very start. I know you um, you and I had a bit of a discussion before we jumped on the mics that um, that you you know were born and bred on the central coast and and you you know started probably your teenage years up here in Newcastle. So yeah, mate, what was you know what was it like living in Newcastle you know early years and um, you know how has that progressed to um, you know to you and your your professional life? Yeah, good, good. Good question. So I guess um, beginning from the from the very start, if I go back to 1997, was the year I moved to Newcastle, which was a particularly good year because the Knights won their first grand final. So <laughs> yeah. was so that the, against the Eels by any chance? The first one was Manly. Oh, first one was Dad manly. was a Manly supporter. That would have been. A... I'm sure it was Manly. I better not get that wrong. Uh, the second one was the Eels. Anyway, um, so so basically, yeah, the Knights won the grand final. We moved up here. Good year to become a Knights fan, uh, mainly because of my dad's business. We moved here from the Central Coast, and that was that. I mean, at that age, you just move here and you get into it. Uh, started with the local primary school, uh, progressed on to obviously high school here in Newcastle and at St Phillips here in town. I was living at Toronto, so I commuted into town to go to school. Loved all of schooling, enjoyed the connections that I made and um, and still have a lot of those connections here today. Um, loved sport, got a lot of my best friends today, uh, even guys you know in property, uh, you've interviewed yeah. Ryan. So um, look, guys that are connected through, through through rugby league that are still good friends today and, uh, and still do work with them and things, which is great as well. So built a lot of close relationships here in Newcastle. Um, and then, yeah, sort of progressed on through to university from there. Um, if I actually take a step back, um, just if you want to sort of dive straight into the, I guess, the career side, mm. I finished uh, school and um, sort of didn't really know what to do, as a lot of people don't really know at that point. Uh, I think there's so many options now, and we don't just follow what our what our parents did as much, uh, unless maybe you've got a family business and that's that's your desire um, often. Um, that's that's not the case. We did have a small family business, but at the time it didn't interest me. Uh, so um, so I, I sort of thought, okay, what am I going to do? Uh, a lot of people at uh, school had mentioned time and time again I'd be a great real estate agent. So I sort of just took that and thought, great, well, people think I'll be good at it. So um, I think mainly because I just, you know, joked around and laughed with people, talked to people. I loved people, so I think that's where that came from. It wasn't really anything property uh, related it was just more the the fact that I was good with people and um, so yeah went and did my uh, the real estate license straight out of school uh, the first job I happened to stumble across by handing out resumes was with at the time uh, New South Wales largest property developer private property developer uh, Johnson Property Group they had a uh, 
a number of very large projects that they were developing around the state, uh, including a few projects uh, in around Lake Macquarie, and I was lucky enough to work across those, predominantly in sales and marketing. Um, so that's sort of where, from a professional standpoint, um, I, I sort of started, and, and that's you know effectively, I guess, what you know started me in many ways on this this particular journey. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, well, that's something that I, I didn't actually know of you, that um, you had a, a bit of time in um, in real estate. So, mate, you said you went to uni as, as well. Was that part of, you know, your, your work that you did with the, the developer? Yeah, look, uh, actually it wasn't. So I started with the developer about 12 months before the GFC sort of started. So what happened was I started there, really enjoyed it. There was, you know, reasonable amounts of inquiry every month. The, you know, the sales team, we were, we were getting good results and we were, you know, making money and all was good. The GFC hit, the inquiries just basically plummeted. Uh, there would have been probably 90 to 95% reduction in, in inquiry, um, which is particularly difficult when you're working with a developer and you're only selling a certain amount of stock I mean your typical sort of agents that are listing and selling they can sort of pivot and find opportunities in other markets and obviously you know they can list and sell you know really anything whereas if you're working with a developer you are on their projects and basically you know you're you're, uh, I guess um, restricted to to selling those projects so that's what sort of happened after after uh, time went on in that period I guess as time went on effectively you started to see some equipment leave the site. It was pretty evident that uh, things were, were, were slowing down. Uh, everything's sort of still good today and the project kicked on, but at that time it did slow down. A lot of staff had to go and, uh, and you know, I knew it was just a matter of time until I got tapped on the shoulder, so I got to, you know, continue to sit on the computer and look at Facebook for a few, <laughs> few extra weeks and get paid for that and then until obviously, uh, you know, I, uh, I did have that conversation. I think I was the only one out of the out of the company that was smiling uh, when they got made redundant but you know I sort of knew it was coming and um, and you know in, in, in hindsight and even at the time I you know had work colleagues that had moved their whole families from Sydney and taken their kids out of school and bought property here and you know were, this, these were large projects so they were you know they were they had large lifespans and there was you know people in very senior roles that were you know up the line to me that had made significant life changes so in in, in you know, hindsight, and even at the time, it wasn't a huge drama to me. I was still living at home, and I had very low overhead, so it was quite a uh, quite an easy sort of transition at the time. The one thing that I did find challenging, though, Matt, was that um, I found it very hard to find a job in real estate from that point because of what was happening. Um, it was, you know, I think uh, what we found then, which was obviously a bit different to what's happened just recently in the last 12 months, is whilst there was you know, um, monetary policy and interest rates used as a bit of a lever. We just didn't have anywhere near the government response that we did have during um, this period of, of sort of last 12 months. So the property market was slower during that mm. period. Um, and so as a result, even though it wasn't technically a recession in, in Australia, the property market, in my opinion, did suffer worse than what it did during uh, the last 12 months here uh, in Australia now. So real estate jobs are very hard to come by i continued to try i just picked up odd jobs did basically whatever i could to just make some money at the time and enough money to go out and drink, drink and with your rest. mates that's yeah. right that's all that mattered so i uh, basically made enough to keep going 
um, pay you a little bit of board and uh, and you know have a good time on the weekend and uh, it wasn't until actually I um, one of the jobs I was doing I actually had a keen interest in fitness and I was um, working uh, in a little sort of fitness studio that did a lot of sort of group training and really loved that sort of thing and, and particularly the boxing I really loved boxing and, and that was a passion of mine and so we do you know boxing training where I you know sort of hold the pads for, for for clients and um and you know I just always had the mentality that if you're doing something you know you may as well try and do it the best you can and, and be the best at it if, if if you know you, you're doing it anyway so you may as well do that and uh, as a result I you know started to make some great connections with people that are still friends today that were training at this particular gym and, and one of them actually happened to own a, uh, a local brokerage and um you know they sort of said well you've been in property before you know would you think about a traineeship uh, so that that sort of started um, at around that time, and uh, at around the same time, I'd actually sort of contemplated uni. So I enrolled uh, for a finance degree at the same time. I picked up the traineeship, and I guess I probably always thought, Matt, that you know, look, this will give me some finance experience, if you will. I'll study finance, and then when it's all said and done at uni, I'll go and get a you know high flying banking mm-hmm. job in at Sydney or Melbourne, which most people I think uh, in Newcastle normally end up working for the NAB or they go to Sydney mm, or Melbourne. Funny. I had the uh, the same thoughts in my head when I was going through my degree. That's right. So that's what that's what that's what it is. And back then as well, you gotta remember uh, we're talking quite a while ago. So this is back at a time when if I had to pick a number, I'm thinking this is, you know, going back maybe fourteen, fifteen years around that mark. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking around that sort of mark, roughly. Um, but basically, you know, we're talking about a time when Newcastle was a much sleepier town. There wasn't as much action. Uh, there was certainly not as much things to do as far as great bars, cafes, uh, entertainment. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, at that age were probably thinking that at some point they would leave Newcastle. So it was a different time from as far as the city's progression. Mm. So that's that's sort of how it went. I, uh, I got through the uni degree. Obviously, while I was doing that, I was starting to build up, um, I guess, myself and my client base as a, as a broker and really enjoying the industry. And one thing in particular I liked while I was studying, I was able to form my hours around the study. Uh, I was able to still meet clients before and after uni classes and late at night, weekends. I could basically, you know, basically decide my own destiny while I was studying. And I also, on top of that, had the flexibility while building a career to also go and start my investment journey as well and uh, and ultimately start to acquire properties which ultimately, at that time, even during uni, ended up being development sites that I developed. And so all this time, this career had given me this ability to study, um, you know, basically start in, in development on my own, which was, you know, basically a passion from when I worked with the, the developer that I mentioned. And I guess this, over time, you know, was a, you know, was basically very um, self-fulfilling in the sense that, you know, I'd do well at uni and then I'd, you know, build up some more clients and I'd be making a better income and I'd be investing in property. And it started off very slow, but one thing that it did do is it reinforced to me how great this industry was of broking. And I guess by the time I graduated, I think the degree sort of took me off memory for four years, four and a half uh, off memory. Uh, by the time I graduated, all the thoughts of this migration to Sydney or Melbourne for a banking job had gone out the window. And I remember at the time, even some of my uni friends at the time, they basically went into the NAB graduate program, uh, which was on the table for anyone that graduated. And I, I looked at it and I was actually making a better income uh, at that time in what I was doing. 
and uh, and you know there was a lot of progression plans from that as well as far as you know acquiring more clients helping more people and, and basically growing my income that way as well so there was actually no desire at that time to end up in a bank job mm. have set hours then potentially not have the ability to go and continue my development uh, journey as well so acquire more land you know, jump out of the office for an hour to meet your solicitor to sign a contract or go down and meet your accountant to make sure your financials are in order. All these things that you sort of have to do, in my opinion, to be active in the property industry. It takes effort and time and sometimes you need to work around your professional team's schedule. You can't necessarily see a lot of professionals, particularly a solicitor. In most cases, until you've known them probably for 10 years, they don't really want to see you at 10 o'clock at night. So I actually realised that, um, that that was a real key ingredient in this industry and, and something that probably you know I seen a lot of value in and, and hence you know why I'm still in this industry today which is yeah that piece that you just spoke about it, it sounds like you know all of the ingredients that you know you, you'd usually describe uh, someone who has a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit you know you were you were eager to um, you know you were focused on the numbers and making sure that you know you were doing everything you could to to help yourself personally and, and develop your own business um, but then second, you, you know, you saw the value in, you know, not necessarily putting yourself inside a box in, say, in, the, in between the hours of, of nine to five. Um, you know, I'm probably sure you'll attest to this, but, you know, if you were to go down the route that you have gone, it doesn't necessarily mean you, you only work seven hours a day. No. You, t- you take an hour out. Usually you're probably doing 10, 11 or 12 yeah. because you're so passionate about what you're doing and, you know, you're doing the rest of it. But, mate, there was... Um, there was something you said really early in the piece, um, you know, that your parents had um, had owned a business, mm. and um, and you had that, you know, that that desire to to be in control of, you know, your destiny and, and your own income, um, which leads me to, I guess, my question, and and that was, what was it about, you know, um, I guess the initial decision uh, when it, when it presented itself for you to to become, um, whether it was a part owner or, or you know, take on, uh, I guess, the more leadership role as as a business owner yeah i guess in our industry it's 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 it's, i never had that great leap that effectively many people do when they make that decision in business so i never and what i mean by that is a lot of people you know have a job and they have to you know i guess build up enough reserves and essentially stop one day and then the next day they've got no income until they basically build their business so where i guess you know you're fortunate in in this industry is I'd worked for you know a, one particularly large brokerage, um, so I effectively spent time at two brokerages before I decided to go out on my own. The second one, the first one was where I had my traineeship. The second one, effectively, was where I essentially worked as a contract broker. So what that meant was there was you know in my agreement there was you know I guess if I brought in clients to the business, um, I then basically was able to retain those clients. So any ongoing income that I made from those clients was income that I would retain. Um, what that basically gave me was an excellent base. I built up a you know fairly significant client base over about four odd years. It may have been slightly more than that, uh, and then as a result, I had a very good foundation. So that when you know, and I probably didn't have any immediate plans to leave, leave that business, but there were certain things that happened internally that you know essentially presented me with an option that sort of was a bit of a divorce within that business. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Business, business speaking, not uh, not <laughs> relationship speaking, but there was a separation. There were some things that, you know, didn't quite sit well with me. And then there was this sort of, you know, come with me, come with me sort of situation. And um, 
and I just didn't sort of it didn't sit well with me. So I guess I, I decided to, uh, to to move on at that time. But what I had once again that was different to a lot of people in a new business is I had an established um, client base that mm-hmm. uh, in my agreement. I was actually able to continue on dealing with those clients because I brought them into the business in the first place. So that was a part of uh, obviously that role that I had had in that uh, in that particular business. And as a result, I just you know essentially the decision was nearly made for me. Um, the one thing that probably I did that is a little bit different to others is is I well originally I anticipated I'd do probably the same as everyone else and I would go and start you know with the small uh, small office um, you know hire one staff and, and away you go but what happened that was slightly different for me is at the time when I was getting ready to, to do exactly that I called one of my mentors Gary at the time and said oh you know this is what I'm planning to do um, you know this is what you know where I think I'm going to go and um, you know have you got sort of any advice for me and, and it was at that time he sort of said to me Matt look uh, I'm getting close to retirement I've got you know a, a book of clients that are going to continually continue to need help and, and you know you're someone that I resonate with because you know he was equally as worried about the price he would get for his client book as he was the service and the commitment that mm. someone would have to them so he was one of those people that really did care about the clients and and I sort of thought about it and, and effectively his offer I guess was you know will you come and join in with me uh, partner with me for a couple of years and then effectively you know once I transition into retirement you've got essentially your client book and you've got you know my client book and uh, and you build a business off the back of that so although at that time I was you know very interested to sort of just get out there brand and and get on with it I knew that the patience was important because the opportunity was too great and I knew that it would give me a certain level of scale uh, in the industry that that would be very hard to replicate naturally mm. uh, without doing something you know of that nature so um, I jumped at it um, you know it, it was essentially in the end I think just over three years of working um, parallel uh, with Gary so effectively worked with him um, he had existing um, an existing team I'd brought across one that then became two to build you know, essentially a part of that team who essentially helped me with my clients and he had he had staff that he'd he'd had for some time that uh, helped him with his clients uh, he'd had a business uh, money links where we are today uh, a business that effectively had been operating since the since 2000 so you know this is a 20 20 plus year old business and uh, and it was great so I got to sort of see how he did things uh, he got some you know um, I guess additional comfort that how I did things was in line with how he wanted his clients to be uh, be, be you know sort of looked after and uh, and then effectively after there we uh, when he essentially decided it was time we uh, finished that transaction and uh, and that's sort of where we are today we're uh, you know sort of two years on from uh, when that all occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's me. That's five years in this particular business. We've grown since then, which has been, which has been great. So we had that, I guess, initial um, scale of, of joining essentially sort of two teams into one. Uh, we're now sort of uh, eight staff uh, and... Um, and yeah, we, that's that's sort of what we do. Um, sort of quick overview is basically anything that's finance related. So we'll have a crack at anything, whether it's um, you know a, a first home buyer. Uh, so we, we love getting in there and helping someone buying their first home, all the way up to someone who might be doing a multi-unit um, commercial development. We'll uh, we'll obtain finance for them and basically everything in between. Yeah, you're uh, you're someone that I highly regard in the industry, and obviously that's probably shown in the amount of clients we've um, mm. we've suggested work with you. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if you know now now being five years down the track in in that you know there was obviously a few transitionary periods within you know the the process to where you are today. 
outside of you know maybe some some of the more um, standard things that people would label in terms of yeah that business success what do you feel like it's been you know maybe maybe has it been surrounding yourself with you know a great set of mentors or business professionals or has it been maybe you know hiring the right people but what do you feel like they you know some of the the key things the ingredients have been into you know being able to to sit here to, across from me today and and say that you know you've I've got a you know a well-oiled machine in in terms of the business that I'm representing yeah look there's many things i mean definitely the team and i'll come back to that but but if just to finish up on the whole you know i guess process that had happened for me which was maybe different to most is there was an element of patience that was required so in business i guess um i've always been able to in many ways, and I think this is impossible to do completely, but set aside some of that emotion and in, in, in ways, in some ways, ego of, um, you know, the name, the brand, the, you know, the, you know, it needs to be this colour, it needs to be, you know, mm. this name on the door. To me, the opportunity um, financially um, was too great to let that sort of overtake my decision making. So essentially, that's where, you know, I did was happy to sit back for, for those three years. And when I say sit back, that's things like, you know, there's, there's different systems procedures that I would would like to have in a business uh, particularly you know when I'm at that level in, in a business uh, mm. with with essentially a partner there's things that I would like to do that you know is not going to resonate with someone who's very close to retirement say in this been doing it for 40 years Correct. or something right so we were almost running two parallel systems where my clients would get more of an online uh, service and you know he would still be operating with his clients the same way now they still got a great service don't get me wrong um, you know so I knew that I was I was working with someone good but um, someone very good in, in my opinion but the there was a disconnect in that. So I guess to me, the, the other thing about why we've got a, you know, the scale of, of where we are today, um, as far as loan book and, and you know, the number of loans that we do and number of clients that we help, I think is a lot to do with that decision to be patient for those three years, mm. um, sit back a little bit, um, you know, go for the ride and, and know that you know, there's that payoff. And that's what we're seeing now is that um, you know, compounding, um, compounding growth of essentially two large client bases together and then referrals from guys like yourself. So thank you very much for that. Um, so that's what we're seeing. But, you know, that does take patience because it was obviously, you know, like me and anyone else, you know, you make that decision, you're going to leap at, take the leap and take the step. You know, it'd be great to have whatever name out there and whatever colours and, you know, new logo and branding. But that just, you know, wasn't... Uh, I didn't let that get in the way of, of the decision. So that, that probably was the, the big thing about, you know, making that sort of, I guess, uh, sort of more rapid, quick growth. And then from that, yeah, it has been the right people. So we, we retained people uh, from that initial... I guess you'd say merger and, and acquisition is the best way to make it sound probably mm. bigger than what it was. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, mate, we retained great people from then. Um, you know, all of them are still with us today. We've since, you know, hired uh, more since then as well that have just all been fantastic, you know, uh, inclusions to the team. Learn along the way to um, to sort of hire more on, on attitude and, you know, values, alignment and skill. And you read that every time you go on LinkedIn, you'll see a post that reminds you of that. But I think you've got to make the mistake for yourself in my opinion because when you see a resume and it's very uh exciting to you because this person's got all this bank experience and you you know or, or whatever it might be and you think you know um someone's going to solve all your your business 
problems at that time, you know, you can quickly find out if they're not a values uh, fit um, with the business that uh, it doesn't work regardless of skill level. So, you know, you learn these things on the way, but but ultimately, yeah, I think the, the team is probably paramount, um, you know, to, uh, to having, you know, the success for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mate, it's um, it's incredible, as I said. So, mate, I, I wanted to pivot because um, the the main, you know, I think we had a great chat a couple of weeks ago um, about you know this whole other sphere that you know I guess you've you've taken on in your personal life, and we've touched on it a little bit um, already, and, and that is that you know you you've you you started your your property development journey through through working for a, yep. a large scale developer. And then, in your own right, you know, outside of you know, the business, you've you've actually um, achieved quite a lot yourself um, with a couple of developments um, that you know you've you've successed or you know had success on. So, mate, we had a chat the other week, and and you know the first one that um, we spoke about was actually one um, that you purchased as an investment, and you know I think you, you take, took a great opportunity with it, mm. um, with with how it all came together. Um, let's uh, let's have a chat about it. So, how did you know? How did you go about the first purchase, and what was your thought process going through um, the, the purchase itself? And then, how did that change into you know? I guess the development. That Doing developments. Into? Yeah. Okay. Good question. I mean, you know, if I sort of think back, um, I probably never had the immediate desire to do multiple developments. So, you know, there's been eight developments that I've been involved in today. All have been all have been successful, and I've enjoyed every one of those projects and the and the and the um complexities and you know problems that you have to solve during the way so i really enjoy and 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 new passions have evolved out of that industry that that you know i continue to really love and i'll go into those soon but the first um site which wasn't a site at the time but the first uh, property that i purchased was in 2011 um so i was 22 at the time uh, and, you know, look, I mean, for me, it was, you know, I'd been building myself up in the industry because, you know, you've got to think the false start in real estate and then building up a career as a broker. I didn't have lots of surplus serviceability to, to go and do, you know, property deals like some people at 18, 19. So, you know, it took to that that time for me to be able to accrue that deposit uh, and, uh, and you know, that's where it starts, I guess, is, is saving. And uh, and then, you know, the serviceability to sort of back that up as well. So that was essentially when it started. Uh, I looked at different opportunities. I watched, you know, all the shows that were on Sky Business back then. Mum and Dad had Foxtel, so I was able to tap into that. I called up a few times live and asked them a few questions. Oh, um, no way. You were quite, quite an active watcher. Yeah, I was an active watcher. <laughs> I used to ask them the questions. Uh, what do you think about this? What do you think? I bought a property in Jesmond. So I said, what do you think about Jesmond? Um, you know, I had my, you know, ideas of, of why I wanted to buy in an area and, and why I'd look for, you know, some of the key things that I'm sure you guys keep in mind. But, you know, shops, um, you know, jobs nearby, obviously, Jesmond having the university and the price point was just suitable to what I could afford. But then one thing I sort of adopted from early, Matt, is... I always wanted to add value to a property. I, I just could not see the sense in uh, buying something that may have looked perfect and pretty, and you know, um, new, you know, joinery and stone bench tops and whatever. But by pay essentially a premium and buy the profit of someone else. Mm. So I yep. took a took a stance early on that I wanted to add value because I knew that you know, yes, I think if you buy property, forget about it. 20 years time you revisit your position obviously you know statistics show that in the future from the past that you would do quite well uh so you know i knew that there was you know the ability to do well over the long term in property but i also knew that the time that that may take 
how much growth you may get, what area may perform better than other others. There is an element of speculation. You're an impatient 22-year-old. Impatient, yeah, that's true. <laughs> just, just like I was. That's exactly right. Well, that's probably one way to put it as well. I mean, yeah. there was an element of impatience, and I think that you know you want to go, okay, well, how can I control this process as much as possible? Exactly. That's what drew me to property. I mean, you know, like there's people that love shares. Shares are great. But, you know, what you know, um, Matt Common does at CBA when you're owning CBA shares is completely out of your control. So, you know, you basically pay the money and hope that you know he does a fantastic job, and you know, and you know, you make your money back hopefully. But, um, but you know, ultimately, I like the idea that a property, and and I liked also the idea that a property, um, you know, there was that element of emotion. I knew that you know you could uh, add value to a certain extent that might cost you X, but make X plus Y on a return because someone else you know had an emotional pull to that. That comes in with your marketing and all those type of things. So I knew that there was, you know, potentially different returns that could be made um, in different ways, and I. And I I just wanted to add value. So that's essentially what it was, mate. I, I bought a property. It was a t- property that effectively had been riddled by termites in Jesmond. Um, they'd sort of done a, you know, really haphazard renovation to turn a three-bedroom into a five-bedroom. And I think they had, you know, lots of uni students. It was walking distance to the uni, so lots of uh, uni students probably illegally living in uh, what was, a, you know, a, a, a boarding house that wasn't actually a boarding house type situation. And, um, and that's what it was. And, you know, not many people wanted to look at it because it was just, you know, so badly damaged but um you know effectively i think it had traded three or four years earlier for 350 and i picked up that property at the time for 270 and um, yeah yeah and just you know undertook a massive you know what was for me a pretty significant renovation but Mm -hmm. that's where i knew i could you know i knew at least if i get this property up to a certain standard convert it back to a three-bedroom home um you know make it compliant get rid of the termite problem and make it you know basically back to, to what it should I knew that at least there was 350 and the rest, you know, there available. So that was a sort of first project. And uh, and subsequently, that one ended up uh, turning into uh, what was the second development project I did because the next-door neighbour ended up selling their property, had the same termite problem. The termites were coming from a reserve, a road strip reserve where there was, you know, trees and whatever, and they were coming through there and ultimately coming through one property into the next. And um, so that in time came up and uh even though we'd not long i'd not long done that renovation uh, that came up and then I, I sort of you know needed to find a way to, to make that work and uh, ended up doing a joint venture to um essentially you know secure that property um and uh, and that's sort of how i guess developing then you know mm. became even on my radar and even if i think back sorry oh, i was just going to say would you mind explaining you know for someone who probably doesn't really understand what we're talking about what you'd done is you, you purchased a property um, and the intent there was just to, to renovate and hold it to, to see some equity growth. But then a, an opportunity came up where the, the block right next door yes. was for sale. Um, so what you did is you, you enlisted the help of someone else and mm-hmm. kind of brought someone else who might be able to support you in purchasing this property. And then um, now what you've done is is you're controlling a, a larger land Lock content, right? And then, you know, you've got options to be able to, to change the use of, of both of those blocks, you know, maybe mm-hmm. amalgamate them or, or turn them into, say, a, a larger development. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, you know, like, it, it just at the time, I guess, made sense. We So, essentially, I guess when we've seen that come up for sale uh, and I talked to Jason, effectively, who ended up being my uh, my joint venture partner on that project, we, we did it together. We did multiple jobs together that were very successful and we just knew that, you know, it was more valuable to us than anyone else because we had the neighbouring property and therefore that unlocked a larger site. Um, so that's exactly, yeah, as, as you mentioned it, that's what we knew the value was. Um, 
we, we, you know, we, we did obviously the due diligence as, as things went on, but if we go back to the sort of core principles that I started buying next door, the investment potential was, was, was you know, in my opinion, good enough on a standalone basis, so I knew the rest was going to be upside. And, and you know, I was going to say before that, you know, the development thing to me, once again, wasn't like a passion project from me being a builder. Uh, it was basically just numbers, and I just knew once again it was the next way to add significant value if done right and uh, you know the due diligence done correctly I knew that it was the next step to be able to add a lot of value to an existing property so you know you've sort of got your renovation you've got your sort of one into two subdivision your duplex and then you might step into a you know smaller sort of scale development and that's where the best returns are in property I mean that's why the developers are on the rich list right so um, (laughs) that's right there's about six or seven out of the top ten right that's exactly right so basically you know that's where the good return are uh, yes there's risk but we just knew that you know we'd be able to a it looks good from a from an investment from an investment basis but b you know there was potentially some upside from a development um basis as well and that's what we did we explored the options um well obviously secured the neighboring property explored the options and uh, and you know started to put together uh, you know our plans and and you know work through that process um we'll create that process for us really we didn't really have anyone to teach us so uh, it was basically like what, what what step follows next what consultant follows next and it was you know great learning and, and you know had a lot of fun you know particularly in early 20s and you know I'm still this way today if there was someone that I'd seen around town who'd done some great successful projects I'd go and shout them lunch and uh, and catch up with them and, and more often than not it's very surprising people are very happy to to give you information and help you along particularly when you're younger and um I, uh, I leveraged off that and, uh, and you know, got as much information as I could and learned along the way and that ended up being a, uh, a very, uh, very successful project. I love what you said there about, um, you know, asking someone that's, um, you know, that, that you look up to a bit of an idol or, um, you know, someone that you admire, uh, asking them if, they, if you can buy them lunch. Yeah, and uh, and then what you get is a, a free hour of consultation with them. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. I mean, a lot of people. I think I think it's interesting that a lot of people sort of, you know, class it as a mentor. I mean, I got a great, you know, who I would consider a mentor and a very good friend as well. But I think, you know, like uh, yeah, many people, if you call them a mentor. I mean, in our industry, you go into the industry, you have to have a mentor in the finance industry for two years. But it's 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 invasive in the sense of how many boxes you've got to tick off to get you know to to be to successfully mentor someone. So I think in many ways, outside of our industry and in many industries, to mentor someone seems like a bit of a burden. So I think that uh, you know in many ways, if you take the titles away and just you know create a uh, you know a genuine friendship and a connection with these people, and if there's a way you can help them, that's obviously even better because then you're adding value back to them. But if you start off with lunch. Um, you know, you pay for someone's lunch more often than not. If uh, if someone thinks you're an interesting enough person, and uh, and you know they can see you're really keen, I think that uh, I think that you know they'll uh, they'll take that offer, and uh, and you'll actually get quite a bit out of it. So that's you know was the was the strategy, and uh, and yeah, definitely that was uh, was was really valuable what I got out of it. Mm, yeah, it's obviously paid you a fair few dividends, you know, throughout your years. Um, so, so how did that uh, development, you know, pan, pan out, and, and what was, you know, what does those two properties look like today? Yeah, look, good question. So that that turned into eight eight townhouses in Jesmond. Uh, that project um, ended up having, I think, north of a million dollars profit in that project. So that was a very successful project uh, at the time. You know, once again, developing was um, just a 
the developing was just something I wanted to do to maximise investment returns. So it was more about, okay, let's just continue to do this and keep property as often as we could in these projects. So what uh, we did, uh, both of us in that project, is we actually kept a, kept a, one of those um, units, uh, townhouses, I should say, each, and uh, we actually own those now today still, and they just provide a rental income ongoing and have since we finished that project. Um, and I guess it spurred the confidence uh, to want to continue to, to go and do projects. So how it actually ended up happening is because we obviously got into the process of having to do plans and what have you, we decided at that time, well, actually just down the road, there happened to be one that was already approved for six townhouses. And so, you know, we thought, okay, well, I got in, the, I, got in the, I guess, the... the um, process, if you will, of doing feasibilities and was getting more comfortable with the numbers and we knew that we were going to be in for a, you know, a process with the local council so in the end we actually uh, made an offer and then ended up acquiring the property down the road. So the one that I just spoke of in Jesmond where we consolidated the two lots actually ended up being the second project and, um, and we actually went and did a, a project while we did our plan. So it was, it was just one of those situations where things naturally sort of evolved, um, I guess being sort of, you know, fairly motivated as well. You go and look for opportunities and you, um, you make things happen and that's, you know, how it has probably gone since then. Um, so, you know, 10 years on and, and that's been basically the same approach. It's just that the uh, areas have probably changed, the projects uh, themselves are slightly changed and I've continued to develop a passion for it that's probably greater than just doing it to make a, the maximum return and that's, you know, stemmed into really falling in love with the construction industry, the, you know, um, design. I find myself reading design books and um, architecture books, um, you know, really sort of trying to better understand how people use spaces and get the most out of spaces and, you know, do things that, you know, are good-looking buildings and, and, you know, not cut costs to, to, to make money. That's mm -hmm. one thing I think that there was a good alliance and synergy between Jason and I when we embarked on that journey together is, we both rather spend money, more money, and dig into profit um, to make sure people were proud of what they were buying. And, you know, that was never a concern to us. We we're both young. We thought we got, you know, another 50 years of doing this. So why were we going to get to the end of a project and not render a fence or not render a, not render a uh, mailbox and leave it in face brick when uh, ultimately we can, you know, spend that five, six hundred dollars and, you know, make it look really, really good. And that's we both had that um, that mindset and we carried on and we did some fantastic projects. And, and you know, all of them to date have been a uh, been a great success. That's great. And that's great. I think something you mentioned there around, you know, being, what I got out of that last bit was that you, you're actually very proud of, of, you know, the, the, the products that you're producing, right? And, and, um, you know, I, I think that's probably leading into, you know, the project that you're doing at the moment. Um, you, you're looking at doing, I guess, different part of Newcastle, right? You, you know, you started in Jesmond in, um, some of more the, the, the affordable band, um, and now looking to do a, um, a duplex in, um, you know, close to the beaches. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I can tell that you're, you're really passionate. You know, you said to yourself you're passionate about, um, you know, the design and, and the space and actually creating a product that someone's going to, to actually want to love. Yes. Um, and, I mean, I, I feel that, you know, it comes back to that, that saying, you know, around if, if you're really passionate about something, you know, you, you do it right, the, the dollars will just 
you know, yeah. come as a consequence of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so take me through the, you know, the, the development you're working on at the moment and, you know, how that has formed and, and whether, you know, um, you know, that has been something that's been in the making for a little while or yeah, come look, up quite quick. So you sort of hit the nail on the head. So I guess um, the progression was, you know, in, in some of those areas where predominantly we were targeting first-home buyers and investors. So that was areas around uh, Jesmond, Walls End uh, and Maryland was predominantly where the first number of projects uh, sort of uh, took place so uh, you know really loved that had a great alliance with the um, with the people that we were working with so anywhere from the architect to the engineer to the builder replicated that and made it as simple as possible and all the projects you know were in within a couple of k radius so knew the market really well which was helpful but as time went on yeah and the passion sort of grew I think you know when I looked at it and I thought okay well uh, from an equity standpoint you know if I looked at it and said well I can do eight um, you know in one of those areas um, or I can maybe do four or five in a um, you know in a nicer area I started to lean towards um, you know doing the smaller projects in the nicer locations that became sort of more the I guess the business mandate and plan and also at the time you got to remember that as the years went on we went through a process where as you guys know um, you know APRA was making a lot of changes investors were no longer present in the marketplace they just weren't buying so I knew that basically the largest demographic of buyers to be developing to was your downsizers um, I also knew that you know they tend to come in you know obviously predominantly in cash because more often than not this sort of townhouse product becomes you know pretty much their last you know purchase mm -hmm. Besides obviously going to a home if, if they have those sort of needs, but as far as being independent, um, often these, these type of townhouse developments are their last purchase. And so I just knew that was the market and, and it really struck a chord with me because I wanted to do things that were nice. I wanted to do things that had up-spec inclusions, um, you know, detail in the uh, design different forms of cladding, cantilevering, you know, things that just looked really good. So, yeah, the first project, I guess, that I sort of started to implement more, more of that was a uh, four-townhouse start project in, in Spears Point, which was a fantastic project and, uh, and you know, was runner-up in a uh, HIA award, which um, got beaten, actually, by, by another project in Merriweather. But, um, you know, beautiful project, um, very, very proud of it and, and really liked the way that it, it, uh, it came together. Uh, following on from that... Um, the one you mentioned is a project that I'm doing in, in Murrayweather, which is another beautiful project. And, um, you know, it's, I think it's going to look different to what other projects are out there. Um, it's, uh, you know, they're larger than what other people are, are providing. There's some really cool stuff in there that um, I won't give away because it'll be <laughs> on the market in, in not too long. But, um, yeah, I really think it's going to be different. I think it's going to be bigger more functional spaces, great, great property to entertain in. And I think that, you know, we've got the bedroom and all facilities downstairs. So if someone is worried about the 17 stairs over time, uh, they can basically be living in the downstairs part of the building. They're, they're like I said, large, uh, plenty of room, and, and they've got a few different little features in there that I think are going to be great. Also, 400 metres walking distance to the beach. Which is just incredible. Um, in so, yeah. Correct. You can go to the beaches, uh, flat walk to the beaches, flat walk to... Um, blue uh, blue door and also you know down to you know the uh, the beach itself so um, I think it should hopefully be received well and um, we're uh, you know also looking um, I made a great alliance with the with the builder that's done a very good job to date on this particular project um, so uh, Kurt and uh, and his team Bayview have been very good and uh, so we're currently looking to do something together as well uh, so that's what we're trying to do now so got a couple of offers out there but um, 
exciting, yeah. mate. See how it happens. See, see what happens. Yeah, you just got to wait. And that's another thing, you know, you've got to be patient. Like you mentioned how long did it take. Um, I was looking. I had my wife looking. You know, she was had every alert possible on realestate.com. We went to a lot of auctions. We let a lot of properties go. We came second on two or three properties in Merriweather. Um, we are very disciplined on what we can pay. We don't. We're not a builder. We have to engage a builder. We pay market rates like everyone else on a build on on a, on a construction. So we can't afford to pay more than what the feasibility will allow for the land. So it's never been emotional to me. I'm happy to just keep looking, and there's always a good project. And what I find is there's always something that comes up, and there's always something that you know not only just ticks the box on a return basis just, but there's always something that'll come up that'll often make you more than what some people would consider the minimum requirement for a return for a developer, and I'd rather wait for those ones. And I also think that's lucky having uh, this business that I'm also passionate about we're in today is I don't need to be doing them. Well, I'd love to do two or three a year. Uh, I'd love to even grow that. I mean, that's the plan, but if I don't, you know, I can... Uh, you I can, can sleep at I, night. I can sleep at night and I still have dinner, uh, buy the nappies for my son and uh, that's all good. Yeah, yeah, life will be okay. Yeah, life will be okay, <laughs> that's right. I think you can get caught up in having to be doing something, having to be active and unfortunately in property development it's just not one of those industries where you can be active all the time. I mean, you know, you can be looking for opportunities all the time but I truly don't believe you can be buying all the time and that's the thing is that, you know, the people that feel like they have to be buying all the time mm-hmm. um, often the ones that, you know, will... Uh, you know, will either uh, go against their feasibility to try and make something work or pay excessive amounts for the blue skies, you know. So, oh, you know, the site, they know that it's worth X, but they're going to pay 200000 above that because they think that things are going to continue to move. So I've never looked at it like that. Yeah. This, you, what you just said there was, um, you know, very, very... I think I just wanted to highlight that. It was, it's been patience. It's been, what, eight, ten-year journey, right, to, to get to where you, you are today. And, and there's been ups and downs on the, on the way. Um, and it's obviously also been, um, you know, very, very rational from your perspective based on what's, what's happening in the market at the time and, and whether or not you, you know, um, with a conservative lens, making sure that, that all the numbers are going to stack up. Exactly right. That's all it is. I mean, you know, and you, you're buying properties all the time as well. For me, a development site is just a number and a feasibility. It's nothing more, nothing less. You know, is there sometimes a homeowner that's going to come and pay in Merriweather, it might be $500,000 more. That happens. But, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, does that mean they're wrong or I'm wrong? No, it's just this is the feasibility and this is what the number is. And I think the more you sort of just look at it that way, you just move on and you do it again. And I think, you know, the agents that understand that, you know, that is what it is. I like to make one offer and that's it. A lot of agents don't understand that someone would do that. But, you know, it's just a number I'm willing to pay and that's what I do. You know, I just, just do it and if they can get a deal done, let's do it. But otherwise, um, I mean, if they don't, I'm not really offended about it either. So just get on with just it. move on to the next one. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. Well, Brendan, mate, it's been incredible to, to have a chat with you today. Um, you know, of course... Um, Personally, you know, Money Links is is obviously someone that I'd um, I'd work with myself if I was looking for for another loan. But okay. but also knowing that you've got this such a strong background in you know your own development journey, I think it'd be you know it'd be incredible for someone who's who's looking to maybe get into that space 
um, yeah. to, to have a chat with you because you've got the finance background, you've also got the on the on the ground experience. And that's what we can do because a lot of people, you know, and they don't know where to start, and that's where you know we can have a look at their position, be it their you know equity position and also their income position, and give them some really good advice on you know what to try and do to get themselves in the position to go and do that development because a lot of people as well, and it's not not um, I guess it's very normal not to know exactly how much money needs to go in a project. I know, you know, we did some quick formulas when we last caught up, but even stuff like that now that you know, I think there'd be a lot of people that maybe have done one or two and got through them, might not actually know how to step back and say, well, if I want to develop a project in this area, how much of my money do I actually need to complete that project? And even just going through that with some people is a powerful tool because it sets the expectations up. And they know, do I need to bring someone else in? Do I need to basically maybe just sit as a passive investor in the market for a little bit longer to get some capital growth behind me so that I can then go and take that next step? So all things that we're always happy to discuss with, uh, with potential clients. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Well, Brendan, mate, thank you so much for uh, for the time today. No problem. Uh, it's been an incredible conversation, and uh, mate, we'll, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll continue the conversation soon. Look forward to it. Part two. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> See ya.